This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to yet another episode of Breaking Pod. Joining me from his basement movie theater in Virginia, Josh Goldman. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well. Yes, I do not have a permanent studio despite living in a bigger house now, and I have still set up like a mobile studio in my basement. Maybe one day I'll get a table down here and get things set up, but it's half a playroom as well as a movie theater, so that's what young kids will do to you. Yeah, I feel like every room in our house is also half playroom, including my office. I'm often working in here, and yeah, a small <laughs> child comes in behind me, and I start feeling little fingers pressing into my back from behind my seat. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> I would love to have a genuine bona fide studio, but you have, uh, you know, you, you can see here, like behind me is this wonderful art gallery on the wall, and yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, it's I'm great. at my normal desk here, and I just, you know, half of, actually more than half of my desk is taken up with just recording equipment that's, you know, scattered here and there, but the uh the woes of an amateur podcaster josh that's right and and one day you know maybe the dream will be a reality so that's a good reminder to our audience please share this podcast uh, the more people right. who listen the the more likely that zach will have a real studio and that i will not be sitting on a couch <laughs> in my basement so please that's right please share share far and wide it's gonna be great yeah uh, exactly we're, we're still trying to make our dream come true all right josh that's right We're going to talk about season two, episode 10 tonight. This one is called Over. Kind of an interesting episode title there. I think that this is uh, a great episode. You know, we're on this really good run of TV here, Josh. We just met Saul Goodman um, in this episode. Um, It's kind of a, a bridge episode, you could say, that has some really great content in it. And then the next episode, we meet yet another iconic character, in the show who who has quite the lifespan uh, in the show not quite as long as Saul Goodman but almost as long so we're in we're in a really good stretch of tv here that i'm super excited about i think we'll start with a 2 minute summary and per your suggestion josh we're going to add a little little uh, additional segment here where we rate on a scale of 1 to 10 the wikipedia summary that we read so from wikipedia <laughs> here's the quick summary of this episode from the season 2 page about breaking bad Despite the good news about his condition, Walt is feeling out of sorts and is generally unhappy, verging on anger. I just love the writing of these things. Skyler decides (laughs) to throw a party to celebrate the news and thank all of their friends for their support, but Walt gets drunk and then into an argument with Hank that puts a damper on things. He is embarrassed about his behavior and tries to make amends all around, but it's proving to be a challenge. He tries to channel his energies, but eventually realizes what the problem is. Walt also tells Jesse the good news and tells him that he is finished with their little enterprise. Jesse's relationship with Jane continues to grow, but he is taken aback when her father drops in to see her and she doesn't introduce him as her boyfriend. The ensuing confrontation clarifies their relationship. <laughs> okay. All right. So on the scale of one to End 10, here's of our new two segment. minute summary. Yeah. What do you think of that summary scale of one to 10, Josh? How effectively does that wrap up what's going on in this episode? This one's pretty bad. This I one's pretty bad. I, I, I think, look, if we're going to say five is average, you know, that's right in the middle. I think this has to come in just below average. So I'm going to give it a four and a half. This is a four and a half summary. It does hit on some some actual points that happen in the episode, but it glosses over some major plot points that we'll get into when we talk about our best scene and our best moment, and our best writing. So for that reason, I have to give it a four and a half. How about you? 
Yeah, I think that is, you're, you're on the right track there. I would say even lower. I would say three and a half or four. We'll go with a four just for generosity's sake. But you're absolutely right. I yeah. mean, there's there's a couple things I look at. One, how accurate is the description? Does it accurately summarize what actually goes on? And then two is just the right. writing, right? And so you already talked about how there's <laughs> there's a fair amount of stuff that's not accurate in here uh, or just omitted entirely. Like we'll, we'll talk about, well, I'll just say it right here, right? In At the very end of the episode, um, he uh, waltz out shopping for uh, stuff at the hardware store because he's fixing his house that has rot all over. And we'll talk about that. And he sees this guy who's pretty clearly a meth head buying a bunch of stuff. Like he has uh, g- essentially gallons full of lye and some matches. And Walt basically tells him like, you're buying the wrong stuff. This is not how you make meth. What you want to do is this and this. And then Walt ends up following this guy out to the parking lot where he finds his partner. They have an RV, etc. Looks like they're about to cook some meth as well, or they're trying to. And then Walt has this confrontation. And he says, stay off my turf or stay out of my territory, I think. And this is, of course, at the end of an episode in which we have been led to believe by Walt himself, no less, that he's done cooking meth. I mean, as, as, the, uh, as the Wikipedia summary says, their little enterprise is over. So, <laughs> so Walt tells Jesse, I think the exact phrase is, I guess I'm done. We're led to believe by Walt himself that he's done. And then at the very end of the episode, which is not described anywhere in this Wikipedia summary, Walt's back and tells these other guys to stay out of his territory. So that's pretty important. I mean, so... Yeah, missing a key plot point. Exactly. So uh, you lose points for omission there. You lose points for not accurately describing what actually happened. And then you lose points for the strange, uh, the strange writing throughout. <laughs> Just as I was reading, it was kind of... It was making me chuckle. Uh, and I love the understated... You know what it reminds me of? Up? It reminds me of a college student who's trying to use like really impressive words to describe something that should be relatively straightforward, but then tries to like fluff it up. And and that's what this kind of reads as. Yes, totally. That's exactly right. Maybe even a high school student colleges is generous to this writer. I I don't know. I've, uh, I've seen some college kids who have a hard time writing. All right. Okay. Depends on the college. Yeah, fair enough. Um, well, we've got 30 minutes, uh, our, our hard cap where we just cut off at 30 minutes, Josh. So let's let's roll on here. That's right. Into broader thoughts and themes. So the first thing I'll say, I'm curious to know if you agree with me. The first thing I'll say about this episode is that this might be the darkest version of Walt that we've seen so far. And if you think about it, we've seen some dark versions of Walt, right? We obviously saw him agonizing over the death of Crazy Eight. He eventually did Kill Crazy Eight when Crazy Eight tried to stab him or did stab him, etc. Uh, we've seen um, we've seen Walt show basic indifference to the well-being of others, especially the people that he is, you know, uh, making meth for and producing meth for. So we've seen some dark versions of Walt before, but in this instance, things get really bad really quickly. I think you see it at the very end. We just talked about the "stay out of my territory" scene, but the most disturbing to me is this scene that we will talk about in the best scene nomination where Walt is feeding, drink, giving his son alcohol and then insists on giving him more and more and then raises his voice at Hank when Hank tries to intervene and, and help tell him to stop. I mean, that kind of, you're, you're a dad, Josh. It's easy to recognize now, as, as a dad especially, the type of darkness that's required to try to get your kid to do something that is not in their best interest. You know what I mean? And then when someone tries to let cooler heads prevail and step in and prevent you from harming your child, 
for you to push back. And there's something categorically different about that than a lot of the other things I think we've seen so far from Walt in the show. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. And I'd say how I describe Walt here is just a severe indifference to everything around him. Like he doesn't seem to care about the well-being of his family. He doesn't seem to care about the well-being of his friends. And maybe worst of all, he doesn't seem to care about the well-being of him of himself. And when you let that pervade your inner being, it just completely ruins every relationship you have. And I think it's especially evident in how he deals with his son, because, yes, Walt Jr. is 16, but he's still a kid. And, you know, this is someone that he rocked as a baby. This is someone that you, he cared for and loved. And to have this kind of indifference to the well-being of your child is, I think that for me is why this is on another level in terms of like the darkness that we see from Walt. It was that, that was really hard to watch. And I'd, I, I had forgotten until right before that scene. And I was like, oh, this is the one where he sort of force feeds him tequila. And especially you know, watching Hank try to step in, who's been like a pseudo father to Walt Jr. to see Walt lash out against someone who's actively trying to say, hey, look, you know, he maybe he's had enough and maybe we just cool it. I'm going to take the tequila away. And then to actively go against that is even worse. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And one further thing I'll say, we'll talk about this more in my best writing nomination but Walt in this, ep- in this episode is indifferent to everything around him except for the rot, right? He has this strange mm-hmm. obsession where he finds what he describes as fruiting bodies. We'll play the clip. Fruiting bodies in the wood under the house. And so there's rot. The house you know, may be falling down, et cetera. And so he becomes monomaniacal in his focus on addressing this rot. And there's some stuff in that scene, I think, that reveals how the rot is really a metaphor for the other stuff that's going on in his life that you just talked about, Josh. But maybe let's use that to segue into what we want to talk about as the best scene. So we'll, we'll, we'll play this alcohol clip. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth it just to understand all of the da- dynamics that are going on here. And if you've seen it recently, this will be very familiar to you. If you haven't, this will be a reminder of what's going on. But what I want you to pay attention to in listening to this is the intentional pauses where Walt is being demanding of Hank, especially. And the episode that I read, or the summary that I read from Wikipedia, described Walt as just getting drunk. To me, I'm interested to hear if you agree, Josh. To me, this is not Walt just getting drunk, right? A drunk person is someone who has lost their inhibitions, who is no longer calculated in how they're responding to the to people and the world and the stimuli around them. But what we see here is Walt, who really hasn't had that much to drink, at least what we've seen. And he's completely in control of the situation. He is measured in how he responds to Hank. He calibrates his responses through um, through eye movement that sort of anticipates what he's going to say. And he just comes across as as very, very dark. This is not a uh, a drunkard who's just being careless and reckless. This is a man who knows exactly what he's doing and exactly why he's doing it. So um, before I play this, Josh, do you agree with that or have a different take? Yeah, no, it, I think that's exactly right. And the, the way you can tell is that he's like super sharp. He's very calculated in what he's saying. And I think you're right. A, a person who is drunk and reckless would maybe slur their words or they wouldn't be able to put a coherent thought together. But this is 
almost the opposite of that. He knows exactly what he's saying and what he's doing. But I do think Walt will be kind of drunk later. Like he takes six tequila shots in the matter of like five, yeah. five minutes here. So definitely he's going to have our, a hard time later that we don't see. Like he might be hurting. But but in this moment, he's definitely of clear mind, it seems. Yeah, well, let's play it and then we'll, we can talk about it more. Hey! Bring the bottle back. Sorry, buddy. No can do. My son. My bottle. My house. (laughs) It's all right. What are you waiting for? Bring it back. Always call it. The bottle. Now. What's going on? So the end of that scene there is a little rough when uh, when Junior has a hard time with the tequila that he's had. Uh, I'll come back to that in a nit to pick at the end of this discussion, Josh. But what are your what are your thoughts as we uh, have just heard this scene now? What stands out to you or stood out to you while you were watching it? I think the reason that I picked it as my best scene is because it's pretty emblematic and representative of what I think this whole episode is about, which is finding your purpose in life or or not having a purpose and i i was sort of noting this as i watched it but you know walt says early on in the episode that he's getting out of the meth business which has been his purpose as he tries to provide for his family when he thinks he's dying and then when he realizes that he's actually getting better he can't even sit still for like a single minute to relax or rest. You might remember he got medicine to help his cough and, and the scarring in his, you know, in his windpipe. Um, but you know, he, he can't even take a minute to, to settle down and just relax. And I think that this scene is one of the ways in which he's trying to maintain some of the power, the purpose that he had from his previous life as Heisenberg and, assert it to his family and it comes out in a really negative way. And we'll see that this is the only time that he is like this with his family in this episode and that he then moves on to something immediately the next day when he finds out that his hot water heater is spewing what looks like toxic waste. I don't, I don't know how they let it live for that long, but then, you know, he goes and fixes that. And then as you pointed out, he's trying to get rid of the rot that's underneath the house. And he's really, Throughout this whole episode, he's trying to find something that appears to fulfill him. And I think that this scene that we just heard about the alcohol for his son is a way that he feels like he's asserting himself and asserting his power. And then he realizes it doesn't work because it's incredibly negative for everybody who's involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it. you know, he's, he's a man who like needs a hobby, right, to be constructive because if he doesn't have that, then he will simply be destructive. And that's what you see. Right. This. And the hobby he finds is this, you know, attacking the rot. And I'll use this to transition to our discussion about what I think is the best writing in this episode. 
Now, I mean, one caveat here, I'm always hesitant to have the best writing and best scene be the same thing. So I actually think the best writing might be the alcohol scene that we just played. But so with that caveat, I'll say that I really like this Fruiting Bodies uh, scene. I also think you have a great nomination for this. Uh, The Fruiting Bodies is a close one with your nomination. And then I actually also like the interaction with the method in the store at the near the end of the episode as well. So there's a there's a few moments of good dialogue. But um, the one that I chose for best writing is this Fruiting Bodies discussion uh, in which Walt describes to his son, Walt Jr., a.k.a. Breakfast, a.k.a. Flynn, uh, what's going on under the house and why it's a bad thing. So here's that conversation. Dad! Hello? What? Oh, hey! What are you doing? We've got rot. Rot? Yeah, here. I'll show you. Here. Take a look at that. See that? Yeah, ever seen anything like it? It's wood. That's wood that contains fruiting bodies. Fruiting what? Fungus, and it is on a rampage. I, I, I don't really see anything. Yeah, well, it's there. You just have to know where to look here. <clears throat> then you cut it all out. Just cut it out and start fresh. Well, better get to it. <clears throat> Is the whole house going to collapse or something? Not if I can help it. So what I like about this scene is the the discussion from Walt about what fruiting bodies are. I mean, first of all, what I like about it is this interaction between uh, Junior and Walt. I mean, it's clearly a tortured, awkward interaction. Junior comes home from school, presumably, and he's just like, what is this noise? Goes into the house further to find a giant hole in the floor. His father is literally under the foundation of the house, and he's like, what is going on, right? And then Walt is just so amazed, right? And like, they're clearly not in the same wavelength. Walt's like, wow, look at this. You ever seen anything like it? <laughs> and Junior goes, it's wood. And you're, I mean, he's right, because <laughs> you can't see the fruiting bodies, right? And I, I actually had no idea what fruiting bodies were before I watched this, um, this TV show. Still don't really know. I didn't do any uh, even half-ass internet research, but apparently it's a fungus, <laughs> right? And apparently it's a wood-eating fungus that, that uh, often looks like rot. Now, the board that he showed Junior, to us, we don't see anything. I mean, it does look like a pretty standard board. It's not like it's full of rot. It doesn't look like it's about to collapse. But Walt is so obsessed with this. And the biggest thing is, right, he says, you can't see it, but it's there. And so this, this metaphor or this idea of rot becomes a metaphor for what's going on under the surface of Walt. He's supposed to be out of the drug game. He wants to pretend to his family like it's all the same. Um, and yet we see this rot that's going on, right? It's, it's maybe a little bit on the nose, but I don't know. I, I like it. There's this rot going on inside of Walt that we can't see from the outside. We can see some manifestations of it, right? But um, we can't see the rot itself. It's there, but you can't see it. And so what does he say? You know, the only thing that you can do is um, cut it out and start over. And that may be true from a metaphysical standpoint as far as the rot inside Walt is concerned. Whether or not he does that is an open question, and we have to watch the rest of the show to find out. The spoiler is that he doesn't. But <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you think of this rot scene? Yeah, I think I one thing I did not pick up on that you just pointed out is the idea that he hands this piece of wood to Walt Jr., and he says, Dad, it's just wood. And for me, that was just funny. But I think what you picked up on, which I think was the intent, is that it is meant to be representative of Walt. You know, on the outside, 
looks the same. Right. He's this chemistry teacher, but on the inside, he's deteriorating and and falling apart. And you know that is something that no one around him is able to see unless they understand what he's doing. And his family and friends certainly don't at this point. Yep. Can I just say one thing before? I, I really feel like Breaking Bad missed like a crossover marketing opportunity here. Like you could just see that like. I was just thinking like fruiting bodies and I was like, maybe they should have like paired with like Kellogg's or something. And it's like new from Kellogg's it's Kellogg's fruiting bodies. And it's like the cereal. Well, it's, it's, it's like breaking it's, bad cereal. It's funny you mentioned that because when he said fruiting bodies and junior's like, huh? I was thinking because junior <laughs> loves breakfast, maybe if he had, you know, put it in terms of like fruit loops, maybe it would have made more sense. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he even thought dad, the fruit loops down there. Let me down there. Yeah. Bring him up for breakfast. Why didn't tomorrow? you invite me? <laughs> My best writing for this this scene or this episode is uh, it happens at the party. And so we, we already talked about, you know, the toward the end of the party when he has the confrontation with Hank and the forcing the alcohol upon Walt Jr. But before that, they're in this like really awkward situation where Skylar is sort of making a speech, thanking the friends f- that came and the family that's there, thanking them for supporting them throughout Walt's treatment and his his cancer and then for some reason they want Walt to make a speech and and this just struck me as odd so I'm not surprised that the reaction from Walt is a little bit stilted and a little bit awkward but what he says I thought was really interesting so we're just going to hear that little piece right now it's not a long speech that he gives but here's that speech when I got my diagnosis cancer I said to myself you know why me And then, the other day when I got the good news, I said the same thing. I love everything about this moment here. And and as you know, Josh, it stretches on a little bit longer where people are just looking at each other like, what in the world is he saying? Is he talking about? And that's basically the end of the speech. I mean, that's it. He doesn't doesn't go on to explain. I mean, one can imagine listening to that or watching it one can imagine someone, you know, uh, a, a cancer survivor having something like what we call survivor's guilt, right? Why am I the one to survive when so many other people who have been in my position have not? And so yep. charitably, that could be an interpretation of what Walt says, but you would expect that he might follow up his, his question with something like that, right? I said, why me? When there are so many people dying, why am I the lucky one? Why am I blessed to have more time with my family, my friends, my life here, et cetera? No, he just says... I asked why me when I had cancer, and then when I found out I'm getting better, I asked why me, and that's the end. I mean, that's 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 it. It's it's such a dark, a dark way of leaving a line hanging in the air that could have two meanings, but pretty, you know, the the second and the darker of the two meanings is pretty heavily implied by the behavior of the speaker. It's really remarkable. Yeah, and I think that the the reason that I like it as the best writing is because it can be interpreted in several different ways. I think for people at the party, like he doesn't finish the thought of, you know, I thought, why me? You know, as you said, I, I, you know, why do I get to spend more time with my family? Like maybe that's how some of the guests at the party interpreted it. But we as the audience know that that's not the case. We know that Walt is going through this mini existential crisis. Like, what do I do now? Why did I have to survive? I had a plan. You know, I, I thought that, you know, I was in control, which really he's not. And I just think what I also like about it is 
you know, Hank's reaction. He's the first one to sort of do anything after Walt's speech. And he basically starts like clapping and's like, all right, hey, hey, Walt, uh, yeah, a little weirdo. Yeah, you know, like it's like, oh, that was a pretty good impression. Of- I like that. Nice. <laughs> We'll have to bring that I've back. I've been working on my Hank. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, you know, I just think that for for most people there, even his family, they just probably think, ah, that's that's weird old Walt. You know, he's weird like that sometimes. But for us as the audience, it gives us insight into what his character is thinking in that moment. And so I think I love when the when the writers and when the the creators of the show are able to to work lines in on several different levels. Yeah, I think that's right. And it would have been a great nom- nominee for best moment, but I like to have my best moment nominations be like five to 10 second excerpts. And yeah. that was, that yeah, was yeah. a little bit long, but I mean, the moment that you just described, right, when he leaves those words hanging in the air, it's it's really a pretty uh, remarkable, as I said before, I think, moment and, and a powerful yeah. one. But let's talk about best moment. So my nominees, I've got two of these. Um, the first one is actually in the transition to that party scene. We see what looks like, um, at least that's what I think it looks like. I'm not a, I'm not an expert in, uh, in you know, cocaine <laughs> and heroin and meth trafficking, but it looks like someone could be um, cut in a, at an almost microscopic level. Um, someone could be cutting up some drugs, right? Uh, but then you zoom out; it actually is uh, ice being crushed for the margarita machine because Hank is making margaritas. So I think I thought that was a really creative. Uh, creative way to transition from the preceding scene to the the party. Um, another nomination that I have is this uh, quip that that Hank has when he is taking on this rot project in the foundation. Comes up from the basement to just take a quick break, shove some toast in his mouth, li- literally, and then uh, take a swig of orange juice before heading back down. And Skyler is underwhelmed by this. Asks if he's going to work today because he's just hanging around the house working on this rot project and his response is that rot is very important here we go are you going to work today father there's rot Mm. Mm. going back (laughs) going back i don't know i just love it it's so pithy (laughs) And uh, illustrates to you this motif of the rot that we already talked about, right? He's so monomaniacally obsessed with this rot. The great irony is that he's obsessed with cleaning out this rot, but he's focusing on the wrong rot, right? Like he's focused on this, yeah, exactly. this external rot that ultimately is cosmetic and superficial. I mean, I get it that rot can bring a house down, but I mean, what, what does it mean to bring a house down, right? There's nothing there that, that really matters. It doesn't, it doesn't pertain to matters of the soul. But the rot that's going on inside of him does pertain to matters of the soul, and more specifically to his soul. So I, I thought that moment was pretty powerful. What, what are your nominees, Josh? Yeah, I just had one, and you know, it's a longer scene, but we have not talked almost at all this this podcast episode about the Jesse storyline, and because I think it's a little surface level, it's it's really that. Jesse and Jane end up having a fight because Jess Jane does not want to introduce Jesse to her father. And you're not really sure why I think we find out in the next episode, if I remember correctly, like why she doesn't want her dad to meet her new drug dealer boyfriend. But the interesting thing about one of their big interactions is that Jane just sort of shrugs this off and she ends up coming over to his apartment and Jesse wants to talk about it. 
And what I like about the way the scene is set up is not necessarily what they're saying because they're just having what sounds to be like a typical fight. Although she does say something interesting at the end when he says, well, you know, Jesse says to her, well, what about us? And she says, who's us? And then that's when the fight ends and he sort of storms out. But what I like about the that was scene a pretty brutal the moment, line, who's us? <laughs> I, yeah, I felt for Jesse yeah. in that moment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he thinks they're dating and boyfriend and girlfriend and she's like, no, we're, this is just a we're not a thing. Yeah. So, right. So what I, but what I like about the moment, it, it's just a small thing, but the way that the scene is blocked is that Jane comes into his apartment and stands in his kitchen, but there is a literal wall separating them from each other. And I love when they, then when people, not just in Breaking Bad, where they do it really well, but when they tie visual things in with the thematic moment of a scene or of a, of a, of a particular, you know, moment in the show. So I thought that was a really nice thing there. That's just a small thing, but that was my nominee for best moment. Yeah. I didn't even notice that when I was watching it through, but you're right. That is a, that is a good nomination. All right. We are almost to our 30 minute mark, Josh. Let's hurry up along with nits to pick and then we'll get to our MVP tally and call it a day. So I've got a couple nits to pick. One, um, there's some really big glasses of tequila going on there uh, <laughs> at uh, at the poolside. I'm not a big tequila drinker, but I mean, they were they were pouring big shots, uh, and that seemed uh, like a bad idea. And then Junior threw up super quickly as well, like super quickly, like basically right as he drank this stuff. And I get it; he hasn't had alcohol before, etc. Uh, but he also was like staggering around like he was drunk, and this is within like two minutes of having his first shot. So that seemed a little bit fake to me. Also, we didn't talk about the Skyler storyline at all. Let's um, do that the next episode. But um, one thing I'll say is that when she was trying to get Ted's attention, she like really whacked the pen canister off the desk. It was not a simple, <laughs> like, let me knock this over. It was like, let me send this flying across the room and I'll just act like I casually bumped it. That's all I get. Yeah, that's I all actually I think, I actually think the Skyler, Ted, Beneke stuff that is a good representation of those scenes. I think a lot of them are a little bit over the top and they're, they're, they're reaching, they're trying a little bit too hard for them. But yeah, so there's more of that in the next episode. So we can talk about it then. My, I only have two, two nits to pick and they both involve Jesse. The first one is that we get this cool shot when he's making breakfast for Jane towards the beginning of the episode. It's a super cool shot. I love that shot. Yeah, you're seeing him make breakfast and he's cracking an egg onto the frying pan. And you think, okay, cool. So they basically, the camera angle is pointing up through the frying pan and you see the egg fall down and start sizzling. Really cool. You know, typically that's just a visual thing. But then you cut back to a wide shot and you see that he's cooking in a glass frying (laughs) pan, which... I was not aware it was a thing. So I looked it up immediately. I paused the episode and I said, is this, is a glass frying pan a real thing? I, I could not find a lot of evidence that it exists, but I guess that they do. But I can't think of anything worse to cook a cook an egg on. It seems like it would just stick. I'm not familiar with the, uh, like the actual properties of glass as far as cooking and frying, but it does seem like it would not be as good as like nonstick surfaces, nonstick ceramic or something like that. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, I, it, it was almost like a Pyrex, right? Like you bake in Pyrexes, yeah, but you don't throw a Pyrex exactly. on the stove and cook an egg in it. So, right, and it had a handle, so it was definitely supposed to be a frying pan, but yeah. something something was wrong there. And then my other nit to pick was that there's this whole storyline about how Jesse used to be like an artist, which I don't know if we've heard before. Have we heard about that in in the series yet? Well, just the part where 
um, he was telling Jane that he used to be a drawer. Okay. Oh, right, <laughs> Jane's right. like, oh, you used to be a drawer to be too, a drawer. huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. So apparently he used to draw like superhero people. And anyway, after they fight, Jane decides to make up with him by drawing something of herself, you know, in a, in a superhero that she calls apology girl and she slides it under his door. Very sweet. Very nice moment. Except that when she slides it under the door, the, the door bottom has like the widest crack I've ever seen in a front door. It is ridiculous. I was like every creature imaginable would just get right under there. They wouldn't even have to duck, but just walk right in. The crack is like and a doggy as, door. Yeah, exactly. As much as Jesse's a slob. Yeah, Jesse's a slob. So, you know, he's going to have mice or any rodent possible that's going to come into his his little apartment. So anyway, that was my those were my nitpicks. And I think all we have left to do is the MVP. Cool. Well, my vote is easy for this one. Uh, There are a number of candidates, obviously, but to my mind, the uh, the best and most obvious candidate is Walt. And I will give it to Walt in this. I mean, his performance in the alcohol scene which i think you've called drinking with dad is impeccable yeah. his performance in the hardware store when he's talking to the meth head and then in the parking lot when he says stay out of my territory also fantastic he's just fantastic all the way through and uh and illustrates his own character in a way that nobody else i think can can sort of illuminate in this episode so i vote walt yeah i go with walt as well it was a close it was close with ted benneke but i think walt deserves it for this one <laughs> Ted I don't think Ted Benneke is going to get many, many MVP <laughs> I don't votes. Think so either. He might be down there with Walt Jr. Yeah, that's true. Well, maybe we'll add him to our list yeah. for zero zilts never. All right, we've got Jesse yeah. still leading with 10, Walt with 8, Crazy 8 holding steady at 2, Skyler 5, Tuco 4, Jane 2, Hank 1, Saul Goodman 2, and Walt Jr., aka Flynn, aka Breakfast, 0 zilts and never. All right, that's all for season two, episode ten. If you miss, if we miss anything, and you want to let us know, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode as we break down season two, episode eleven, Mandala, and it's a really good one. So you're definitely going to want to tune in for that discussion. Until next time, I'm Zach, and I'm Josh. Have a great week. Bye.